you're doing pretty much the same techniques you would for steelhead, and these fish are a lot grabbier. Like when you're swinging for rainbows, if you're not getting grabs, you know, at least once in a while, I mean, this river spoils the crap out of you. You know, if you came from a steelhead and just steelhead, you think it's great because, you know, you're getting a shot a couple of day at big fish. But if you fish the night neck during the season, you're like, what the hell's going on? I've got two fish. What's what's going on? That was Dry Fly John making the comparison between steelhead and big Alaskan rainbow fishing. Heading back up north to Alaska with Captain John today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thank you for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Uh, please take a quick second and share this episode uh, if you think you know somebody who would love to learn about Alaska fishing rainbows and big giant rainbows. Just click, um, click that share button and share it out before we get started today. This one is going to be good. John McCloskey is back on the show to share some more tips on swinging flies with a focus on trout. John takes us back up uh, to the Nagnek for giant rainbows and some tips on fishing and planning your next trip up north. Before we get started, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Please head over to wetflyswing.com slash stonefly to get your custom net today. That's wetflyswing.com slash stonefly to get started right now. I've been hearing from many in the community that a big trip is on the horizon, so um, you're going to get a little taste of what you can expect from Alaska right now. Without further ado, here is Captain John McCloskey. How's it going, John? Oh, man, just hanging out. Happy to be here. How was the season up there in Alaska? It was long, you know, coming off that, was it 2020 COVID, you know, a lot of people wanted to go fishing. So we, we stayed, I think this was the record year for our busiest season. No kidding. Yeah, it was nuts. Wow. So you pretty much were, I mean, what, fishing every day for how many months were you up there? Well, I got there in May and got home well, a couple of weeks ago, so. You're usually there, yeah, from like May to almost November. So starts June eighth, that's the opener. Gotcha. So you've been you were on the show back in episode eighty nine, which was uh, over two years ago now. It's been a while, right? It's amazing. What's happened? Obviously, COVID. Uh, what else has changed between now and back when we first had our conversation? Anything with the like fishing up in Alaska? Any of that stuff? Um, like regulation wise, nothing's. It's all about the same. What about just in general? Are you still hitting like Georgia half the time? Is that all kind of uh, pretty standard what you got going there? Yeah, we still. So I, I get back here around November or so and then, or, you know, late October and then we'll, yeah, I do the Georgia thing here. And I, I was doing for a couple of years in Arkansas on the white, but I don't know if I'm going to do that this year. I took a job with another lodge, so I may be hanging around here all season. Oh, really? You took a job in Alaska for the... Or in another place? Uh, you know, it's in North Georgia. It's the same place that I did that TV show at. Um, it's just a real remote, you know, super private lodge. It's pretty cool, though. I mean, you know, just something different. And is this a, a secret lodge that we can't disclose the name? <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah, it's all absolutely <laughs> a secret lodge. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> Our top secret. Nice. And uh, so you're fishing. Uh, yeah, you're fishing up there. You could fish throughout the whole pretty much all year. Just swinging. Are you swinging all years up there? Um, there's really not, it's such a small. It's it's just a private water. It's so small. Uh, I mean, they'll take a swung fly, but you know, it's just it's family, a nice family, and it's it's kind of a nice break for me for a while. So I don't know. Arkansas thing or not, but this it definitely keeps me busier because we do hunting and fishing up there too. So, oh, nice, yeah, nice. What are you hunting for? Like bird hunting? Mostly whitetail and some bear, you know. Yep, that's perfect. Awesome. I've been doing a little bit of a survey here, uh, trying to get a feel, better feel for some of our current listeners. And yeah, about half the people listening, uh, it looks like are hunters, right? Which is kind of you'd expect that, you know, bird hunting, deer hunting. You know, uh, what do you find? I mean, are you a hunter? Are you a big hunter? What's your background there? You know, it's uh, food for the, I feed my family with it. But yeah, I mean, if I'm guiding the whitetail hunts, sure. You know, it's an enjoyable thing. It's just, you know, it's kind of different in the mountains. You don't get, you know, 180 class too much. So the whitetails are a bit smaller. So, okay. So perfect. Well, well, let's take it back. We, we, in back in 89, we talked a little bit about, uh, Alaska. We dug into it. I, I want to hear, uh, maybe we uh, tell a few more stories here today. You, you mentioned, uh, kind of as we were getting started, the, uh, 36 inch, uh, uh, trout that you guys caught. Talk about that fish. What, what was the, what was the deal there? Is that, is that the largest one you've seen? That is the large. Now that's the largest that I've netted. I don't know. I'd say we probably hooked a couple that were around there or bigger but that was definitely the largest that i've netted up there yeah that thing was nuts man took a big you know big like a giant swung leech we we ran down dude we ran 500 yards and net that thing down the river it was pretty awesome that was that was a good fight and are you uh swinging up there are you still using all um what's your like opst and all that stuff yeah mostly yeah most of my clients have been steering them towards the opst rods and you know because it's a complete system so it makes makes it easy to tell them yeah get you know get this grain this rod this reel boom done it's beautiful yep that's it okay and are you in up there this is this the same anything much changed there since we talked a couple years ago are you pretty much if we people listen to that episode uh 89 would they pretty much have a feel or have you guys changed up a little bit no, it's not really changed. I mean, you can't really, you know, I, I mean, I swung a lot more this year than I usually do. Really just, I, so, you know, going from guiding all day and then doing the manager stuff at night, I took like a 30-minute thir- a break, probably three or four times a week, and just went out and just swing in the deep water because I, I couldn't, you know, I didn't want to go far from the lodge, but just went out there and swung. And, uh, dude, I got a lot of quality fish. That's the most I've ever swung that river, you know, because we don't fish much. It was pretty awesome, though. This is the Nagnek? Yeah, all, all on the Nagnek, yep. That's it. Okay, perfect. Awesome. Well, talk about a little bit about, um, you know, like a day in the life. I'm just curious up there. So you're talking about this manager stuff. I mean, what, what does it look like for you? So you get up there. I know you get up there in May. What, what does the daily yep. look like up there, the weekly daily? Yeah, well, I guess, before. so we're, you know, we set up the camp and, and you know because we have two we have the, the camp and the lodge and so we got to set up all that stuff prior to anybody getting there obviously so the guides will fly the guides in and the help in whenever you know to get set up and then uh we're, we're really just setting up for that june 7th when everybody starts to fly in and get ready to for that june 8th opener which is really fun but the opener is 
you know, you still have a shot at a couple big fish, but you've got just a lot of fish in the system. And they, you know, they're, they're super happy to take a swung fly, a strip fly. It's a fun time and it's, it's not real crowded. So, you know, you, and you can swing, you know, a little lighter setups. You don't have to ha- come out there with an eight weight. You can come out there with like, hell, I mean, a six weight and be pretty all right. Most of the time, even the, even the larger fish are coming off reds and stuff. So they're not quite as energetic as they would be, you know, in, in September. Oh, gotcha. Perfect. Yeah. So, and I'm curious, so you're, you get going up there and, uh, talk about that a little bit. Take us to the lodge or whatever you're at nag nag. What lodge? This is the, um, this is all Katmai, right? This is, so I, I switched back. I went back to nag nag. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. I did that. Like this was my second season doing like the head guide manager thing up there. But, uh, but we're still involved in both, you know, both the, the camp and the lodge, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, usually in charge of the day-to-day at, at knack neck now oh, okay at the camp yeah we wake up at like i don't know 5 30 or 6 just depends on what the day's activities is and then I, we go in you know because we live off we live in a house like in between the two uh and so we'll drive in do our things in the morning you know set up and then the girls are cooking and then you know the clients start coming in an hour before we go out fishing and then we just hang out with them while they enjoy their breakfast and then we all meet at the dock and you know head out and go hopefully go catch some fish see some bears you know the fun stuff alaska offer we had a lot of bears this year any like uh, close encounters oh sure that that happens a lot yeah lots and lots of close encounters uh not just in in camp you know that's you know going traveling you know how we fly out we fly out all over the place and you know you see bears at Brooks. You see lots of bears there in a place called Margo, which is just past there. Concentration of bears are incredible. All in Katmai. And there's so many of them. Yep. So no, uh, nobody died this year, though. No, no, no one got <laughs> eaten. So that's good. Uh, well, you know, we're seeing a lot of wolves, too, uh, which is an interesting thing. We're seeing more and more wolves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a... Yeah. So this is, and remind us again, where is Nagnet? What, what part of Alaska is this? So that's, well, it's, it's like Alaska West. So it's, it's kind of like, um, the best place to tell you, uh, it's part of the Bristol Bay system and it's on the West side. So it's like, it goes Nagnet Lake and the Nagnet River and then, uh, you know, Quijack Bay, which is, you know, part of the Bristol Bay system. Okay. And that's, that's the side we're on. So we're pretty local when we talk about flying out. I mean, we can hit, a lot of places in, in, in a, you know, in a fair amount of time. So it's a, it's a good centrally located place to do flyouts also. Okay. So people roll in there typically, are they rolling in kind of on the, the Friday before getting ready? Or how's that work as far as when people are coming in? Usually you go Saturday to Saturday. So people fly in on a Saturday, their week starts on the Sunday and then they'll fish all week and then head out on that Saturday. That's usually, so it's like seven days, six days of fishing. Okay. So you're sitting there. So when you're running the lodge, I mean, you're, you're getting up, like you said, five 30, you're, you're getting out. So you're fishing by what, like seven 30, something like that. Um, usually around, it really depends on the season. Uh, this year, let's say that we're going to that, with that, when that time, when you caught that gigantic 36 incher. Oh man. Dude. So that's so that we're talking like September, October and that, you know, it doesn't even get light out till like eight, eight fifteen in the morning. So you're kind of hoping 
we definitely get out early and try to get spots, but you know, if like it gets crowded, the night gets crowded in the fall. Uh, and I don't think that's gonna get any better. I mean, dude, it's so popular for those giant rainbows. It's hard to explain to, you know, you get one. They're amazing. How, and by crowded, I mean, what does that look like? I mean, are you, are these crowded by just all the lodges? Yeah, they're just, well, you got lodges, you got locals. I mean, you got a lot of people on the river buying for so many gravel bars and stuff like that, you know? And, um, and this year we suffered a little bit from water temps. It got super low. Uh, it was a really cold winter this last winter. So, I mean, when I got there in May, I had missed the ice. Somebody told me I missed about like three days. So, I mean, it was, it was cold and it stayed pretty cool through the season. And then by like mid September, that water temp had dropped. Uh, I think in the low 40s, I think it made it even down to the high 30s. Wow. You could definitely tell the difference between years prior when the water was substantially warmer than it was this year. Right. Just fish weren't quite as active. They're just not as active. I mean, I mean, you know, when you even, I mean, just, you could tell when the water's really low temp when you'd hook the fish and it was like, you thought, oh, this isn't much to it. And then it, you know, you, you reel it in and all of a sudden it's a giant fish that rips out. I mean, they're just, they're just super, just really lethargic a lot of the times. Gotcha. Okay. So, and was that 36 inch lethargic for the most part? Well, that was two years ago. Um, that was with a group, uh, Greg and Haston and, uh, Greg swung that up and it was like a little over 36. I'm right when I netted, I said, dude, this is the biggest fish I've ever netted. And they knew it. They've caught a lot of big fish. And then again, this year, Greg swung up a friggin' 34 and some change that was, could have been heavier than that 36. It was huge. Wow. I mean, they're, they're so big, man. So big. The opportunities there, man, you just got to, it gets down to that, you know, am I, my, my fly too big or too small? Should I, should I extend my tippet? Should I, should I be fishing T20 instead of T18? Should I be fishing 14? Where are they at in the column? Why aren't, you know, there's a lot of thought for, as, as I'm sure, you know, in every, every steel, and, but it can get aggravating when, you know, you do everything you think right. And you're, you're not getting the feedback that you want. It will test you for sure. How close do you think these fish are, what you're doing to just, uh, I'm not sure how much, uh, if you've done any swinging for steelhead, but do you think it's pretty much the same thing or is it quite a bit different up there? I, I would say the description I'd say is you're doing pretty much the same techniques you would for steelhead. And these fish are a lot grabbier. Mm. Like when you're swinging for rainbows, even as big as, you know, the, these yeah, the big guys. Yeah. It, if you're not getting grabs, you know, at least once in a while, I mean, this river spoils the crap out of you. You know, right. if you came from a steelhead and just steelhead, you think it's great because, you know, you're getting a shot a couple of day at big fish. But if you fish the night neck during the season, you're like, what the hell's going on? I've got two fish. What's, what's going on? Right. So it's, I think it's all perspective. Um, but I, I definitely have seen years where, I mean, dude, you'll get so many grabs. It's nuts. It's nuts. And then those people come back expecting that. Like this year is a good example. So really, it was a challenging year, you know, for for numbers. But people that had come back years before, like, man, I can't believe it. What, what are we doing wrong? I'm like, yeah, nothing. I mean, just stay the course, baby. Keep going. 
what do you think was going on? Why it just, was that just a water temperature thing, or, or this are changes? Yeah, I think it played a big role. Yeah, because when you're doing your spotting, when you're driving around the end of the day or whatever, just kind of deciding what to do the next day. I mean, you drive over gravel bar, and sometimes you wouldn't see much, but other times you'd see, you know, twenty giant fish, and you're like, "Well, I know they're here," you know. So it, it was a challenge, man. Um, there's some times where I went. I tied like a giant, like an eight or nine inch, you know, leech just to see if something different would, you know, oh, right. open up the secrets. Uh, and it, and it, some, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't work. Um, I experimented on, you know, different sink rates or, I mean, just two different clients doing totally different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, one would have, and then there'd be days where I'd put a T20 on somebody's. And then I turn around, I give somebody like a something stupid, like a T11 or T14, and both of them are getting grabs. I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, so it's it's like anywhere. I think you know, it's good to mix it up. Well, it's humble. It's humbling, and that's good to be humbled, I guess. For now, and you know, when you think you got to figure it out, you probably don't. No, it's it goes back to that setting expectations, right? Even in Alaska, even though there's like a bazillion fish, you still have to talk to your clients and say, okay, here's what you can expect today. Are you doing that with them each day? That's a great point. Uh, yeah, people do come up. I mean, the things you know, when I go around table to table, I ask them what their goals are. It's always the same, you know, same thing. Oh, we want a thirty inch, and I, I just laugh. I'm like, yeah, me too, bud. But <laughs> it seems like it definitely is. The expectations are higher for newbies coming to Alaska that have been told by everybody that they'll catch a hundred fish like the, I guess the spring, like, you know, first of June, you could catch, I guess you could catch, you know, 50 fish in a day. I mean, it's happened, but it's not like it is in September, October where you may only get three or four fish, but they're gigantoids. You know, it's just a different, it's a different thing. So when is the time to go down? So if you want a numbers game, um, when's the best time to go? I'd say if you're just wanting to, to just absolutely crush fish, there's a couple times. Um, opener, I would say. June. Yep, yep, June 8th, um, all the way through to the end of June is a lot of fun uh, for numbers. Most years, there are definitely some years that, like this year, the water was so cold, I don't think they moved in um, to like the, you know, we caught fish, but not like it usually is. And then by July, we were catching a lot more fish. So I think that temp really made a difference with that uh, that runoff and stuff. But on the average, I'd say that first three weeks of June, man, is so much fun. And then I'd say, you know, when the beat, when the egg drop starts, like late August for the sockeye really drops, starting to drop to that first week of September, that is a real good time if you want a fish of a lifetime, but your skill level is not really there for a good swing or this, you know, you don't have the skill set. It's a good time to come. It's a good time to practice to get those big fish. I definitely say numbers wise. I think the opener is a, a, a good time. If you just wanted just to absolutely have days where you're like, holy shit, dude, we caught way too many fish. That, that would when I'd say to go. There you go on the swing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can swing them. You can strip them. So what I usually do during the spring is I'll swing, you know, my regular spots and in between I'll run it like I do brown trout fishing where I'll have like whatever 
sink tips or whatever I'm throwing, if I'm throwing jig flies, you know, whatever, but I'll be from gravel bar to gravel bar. We'll just row down like we're brown trout fishing. They'll bang the banks and you, you know, you get your bonus fish. It's a lot of fun. It's just different. And then there's some people that come, they're like, Oh, I only do. I only swing. I'm like, okay, that's cool too, man. That's fine. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, don't bother me. I mean, these fish, I'd say, on the average, are more apt to take a swung fly anyways. But they're definitely the most aggressive. Dude, you can get big fish on the strip, for sure. On the strip. Or the the beads, right? People fish those pretty heavily? Yeah. So usually the beads, that egg drop starts, you know, the end of August. And then, you know, dude, there's lodges that'll fly over the knack-knack that'll beat all the way through mid-October. Oh, wow. But usually that first three weeks, that end of August and the first two weeks or so of September is usually considered the beating season. And then that transition when the eggs, you're hoping the eggs will not die out, but at least chill out enough to where these fish will start to trigger more onto the meat, you know, like sculpins or leeches or lamb whatever they're you're hoping they're going to feed on something else um because you can definitely tell and i did it on purpose this year i swung through part of the bead season just to see how bad it could you know how bad it can get and it definitely you can tell when those eggs really start dropping they, they don't care about a swung fly you may get one fish all right get a grab maybe um you know try cheating put a put a bead on the front or something like that of your fly yeah, there's ways to cheat Exactly. Yeah. Egg sucking leech. Yeah. But sometimes it's just the bottom line. They're, they're not eating what you're fishing. So, you know, there it is. You got to give them what they need. I, I want to get into a few uh, tips uh, specifically for swinging up there, but um, you yeah. mentioned something. I'm curious before we get there, you mentioned uh, driving on a gravel bar. I didn't know if you meant actually driving on a gravel bar or are you guys just, is that more like, what's that? What are you guys doing? what do you mean by that? And are you guys, what's the scouting look like? Oh, 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 you're okay. I see when you're scouting. Yeah. So you really just drive around looking, you're, you're, you're kind of just glancing over, looking to see what's there because we don't really want to fish things that have nothing on. And, and sometimes you just know fish are there and that's fine too. Um, but yeah, you'll be driving. Like if you're driving the middle of the river, you can kind of look up over and kind of drift over and look, well, I mean, you can only do that if somebody's not, if there are people fishing at you, I mean, you can't be a Yeah. Like the end of the day when the sun's dropping behind the, you know, behind the mountains there, you get a little quick, you know, 10 minute drive up looking at just trying to see where they're holding, if they're holding at all, you know, because there are definitely discouraging days where you're like, God, we got two fish all day and like three grabs. What the hell? You know, and then you can't wait to get back to hear how everybody else did. And then, you know, they're like, oh, we crushed you. You're like, son of a Right. Well, that's the beauty of, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people expectations, but also Alaska. I mean, it's got to be, I mean, pretty hard to complain. Even if the fishing isn't the best, you're up in Alaska, right? Well, you know, you would think that would be the case. <laughs> That's not the case. I guess people are spending a lot of money, so they feel like they uh, d- deserve great fishing as well every day. Well, with that, and you know, you got to remember, we have like, God, 80 something, 90% return. Oh, gotcha. So we've got guys that have been fishing with us for 15 plus years, you know, that they've seen the ups and downs and, you know, they want what they want, man. I mean, I got guys that have been coming up there for a long time that still haven't got a 30 inch trout, you know, and that's 
uh, the number, you know. So those guys don't come up there and they're never no. like, well, you know, I'm going to sit out a day and just enjoy Alaska and the bears. No, what? no, no, <laughs> no, that, no, that those kind of people are like, Hey, let's get out at six 30 in the morning and freeze our nuts off till the sun comes up and then we can catch a fish. Right. There you go. I mean, you know, but, but you always, you still have people, I mean, you still have enough newbies and stuff that want to go see the bears that want to go see, uh, Brooks cause they see it on national G. I want to go see all the, the fly outs and stuff. Even when they're not fishing that good, they still want to go see the stuff. Yeah, totally. Uh, and so and back to that, again, I'm taking it back to that day in the life. So you guys are getting going, whatever it is, eight, eight thirty in the morning. Yeah. Once you start fishing and are you, and you're boating, what do you guys have? So are you boating around in little like jet boats or what, what do you have there? Yeah, we're still running. We're still running lots of stealth crafts, um, in anywhere between the 16 and 18, you know, like 54s. We have a couple 1860s. Uh, we have a, a lot of, um, let's see how many we have. We have three or three, let me think here, three G3s that have center front center consoles. They're like 1860s. And then we have some roughness and awesome old roughnecks that have tillers. And, you know, I mean, we got a. Oh, gotcha. So these are jet, these are like jets, jet pumps with pretty much flat bottom boats. Yeah, for, for the most part, yeah, some you know, modified B or, or flat bottom. And, and the bottom line is that you can run those shallow because we, you know, especially during the the summer when we're swinging for kings, we go up the you know places where it's pretty skinny. Uh, I can't imagine. And I have seen old old timers running props up there. I'm like, man, how is that possible to be up here? The right, yeah, those guys know their stuff. <laughs> or they have prop left exactly broke a few props too so you're going up so basically you guys start in the morning so you head up to whatever gravel bar you take what two three guys on the boat um really depends on how the groups go but i I try to put two with one guide i try as much as i can once in a while you'll have guys that it'll be like a dad and two sons they want to fish together so you put them together um but yeah so you either you're either gonna swing from the boat or you're going to get out in the gravel and wade people want to just wade that is a big thing people come to alaska to to feel the water you know uh, and they cracks me up because they come out with uh waders that they could possibly buy and they're like hey my waders are leaking i'm like well yeah man, those things are older than i am yeah that seems kind of interesting to me because you you think of um you know, whatever the trip costs, right? You know, five, ten thousand dollars, whatever it is to go up there. I mean, a lot of money. And then waiters. Uh, I mean, gosh, you know, you'd think that would be a nice investment. You'd make sure to have there, right? Before heading up, if you're spending that kind of money, you could probably afford a pair of waiters. But that's not what you see all the time. No, it's not what you see damn near ever. No kidding. So you don't see everybody's not wearing sims up there. Well, you know, you have your your core that does that kind of stuff. You know, they, they, a lot of people just buy whatever we use. But a lot of the new guys, and honestly, dude, even some of our re- returns still wear the the gross. I mean, you can think of it, just the nasty old rubber layers. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, dude. We got all kinds of kind of people. Um, you know, we well, we have a lot of our own. We have a lot of G threes and G fours that we we lend out all the time, just because. You know, because most people, or I'd say a lot of the people that come up, only fish a couple times a year. They don't. You know, oh no, kidding! Uh, it's just because you go to Alaska once a year 
for 20 years does not make you a proficient fisherman. No, gotcha. So what percentage of people are coming up there and they're only fishing a couple times a year and Alaska is one of those places? Uh, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to think long and hard. Tough to say. Good bit. I'd say during the sockeye season, you've got a lot of people that are just meat, meat people. That's pretty much all they do. Meat fly fishermen? Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So they'll, they'll come up, get their sockeye, you know, for the season and go home. That's it for them. Maybe they'll do a little trout fishing at home, but dude, it's not, you don't get tons of avid fly fishermen. That Hardcore. No, you just don't get the. And I guess you look at it like if, if they're all hardcore, they wouldn't need us. So. Right. Oh, you mean they'd be just doing it like a go up and do a DIY thing? Yeah, man. There's a lot of people that do a, the DIY thing. And, um, I think it's, uh, pretty crazy to do, uh, cause there's lots that can happen. Yeah. Tell me about that, John. I'm, uh, I'm interested cause I'm one of those, uh, I think maybe one of those crazy people and, uh, we're planning a trip, uh, to kind of do that DIY. I've got a buddy, you know, having his big uh, 50 birthday party coming up soon. And, uh, and we're like, okay, what can we do? That would be awesome. And we're like, let's do a two week trip in the middle of Alaska. Like just grab yeah. some stuff. How, like, what's the craziest thing that could happen there? What, what's the concern there? <laughs> um, scare me, scare me a little bit. <laughs> I think there's some, once in a while, you got people that die and doing raft trips that they just won't come home. It doesn't happen a lot. And it's, you know, I would definitely, if I was going to do a DIY, I'd make sure I have some of the guys going at least that know how to, that know how to, or, you know, that are pretty good on sticks and definitely be armed. Anybody that, that goes out without a firearm is, I does not make sense to me. Oh, no kidding. So you need to, there's literally times where just making noise isn't going to be good enough. Um, I mean, I can only speak for my personal things have happened, but you can make all the noise you want. You know, if, if something in the wild wants to come mess with you, they're going to mess with you. Have you guys ever had to like shoot an animal? There's been times in the past. It's horrible, man, because it's not a sporting event. It's kind of sad. Uh, usually it's because of something man has done, you know, like, Oh yeah. They're feeding them. Yeah. Because something happened and somebody accidentally left trash out or something. And then that just drives the bears to come in or, you know, whatever the wolves, whatever. And it's just a shame when instead of, you know, it's not usually the animal's fault. That's what I'm trying to say. Not usually, but it's always sad, dude. There are times and, and, and wolves. I mean, that's the thing, I guess when you think of the lower 48, you think like bears and wolves are so like endangered. You wouldn't even think, I know Alaska is totally different, obviously. So, (laughs) you, you know, wolves and you're seeing like wolves are becoming a problem or are you just seeing them occasionally? Yeah, you're, I think I'm definitely seeing more wolves than I did years ago. I, I'm probably seeing, I mean, just a, a general statement, everybody reporting. I mean, there's there's more wolves being seen and, and photographed than they were when I started. I can tell you that much. You're seeing, like, uh, like well, there's a, there was a dead bear on the river, and it was just left there. And wolf packs would come down and feed on it. I'm like, holy shit, you never see that. This is amazing. Oh, amazing. That is cool. Yeah, the guys were swinging. So I'm standing there on the river, just watching. And I got one of the new guys with me. And we're looking. I'm like, holy shit, there's a wolf. And so he comes, swims over to the bear and starts eating it. But then something spooked him. I guess maybe, I mean, we were way away from it. We're watching. And then all of a sudden, he's up on the mountain. I'm like, how in the world 
did he get that fast? And I look over and I'm like, no, there's like four others. It was, it was pretty cool. Wow. I mean, you see that, you know, you don't usually ever see that stuff, but you're seeing that more, you know, now it's kind of cool. You know, that is cool. What's the, um, What's the, I'm kind of stalling. I want to get into a few, a few, few tips, but I'm just interested in this, the, the Nagnik, the camp. I mean, how, yeah. describe this camp, take us to the camp. Is this looking like a couple of like uh, tents on the side or is this like a major operation? Oh yeah. No. So we have, we consider it full 24 a week that that's a really full. And so what we have is when you drive in, you've got the lodge, we call the lodge where we eat all our meals and meet up in the morning. That's on the top. And it's just, you know, it's a decent sized building. It's not, it's not odd, but it's really nice. And then when you drive down the driveway, if you look on the left there, you'll see all the guides, tents and housing. They built, you know, someone would have their own lot, you know, their own little cabins. And then if you continue down the main drive down by the river, there's all our cabins and we have, uh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. We have like twelve cabins, and uh, we've been redoing, which is really nice. We've been doing redoing, giving a facelift, doing like uh, tongue and groove cedar on the inside of the cabins, and then on the outside doing like a tongue and groove pine or something. Just, just kind of. And then last year during COVID, it was really cool because we ended up turning like the original cabin that was there is called trappers we turned it into like a, a really cool hangout place so that was what we were oh nice so now it's got a giant porch overlooking the river and we got a grill there and um it was like a hangout bar inside you know? yeah that's sweet yeah it is really sweet it's it's coming along um we'll probably finish that up this season but yeah so i mean anywhere between you know still about 20 24 people that's that's like capacity that that's okay that, that's max and you guys were maxed out pretty good this season what what was the uh so when you fly in so people how do you get there so do you just come yeah. into anchorage and then fly over so you'll fly into yeah so you you fly into anchorage that's like the main place and then you'll get you'll take like a smaller jet even like a, i think like a 737 and you fly to a place called king salmon and king salmon used to be like a a big air force base and that course that that went down to, to nothing, but you know you can still fly big jets and stuff, and and then from there, like we'll just we'll just drive into town and pick you up. It's beautiful, uh, but I know a lot of people will fly in and pick up their people on you know on smaller planes and take them to their lodges. But I mean we're just we're twenty twenty five minutes from town, so it's pretty easy, you know, because you got super fancy uh sockeye saloon and you know one gas station that you can get you know some ammo you can get food gas fishing licenses huh pretty famous place it's called the ac everybody goes there knows that place and then in king salmon yeah in king salmon and then you have like uh like one other place eddie's that's the two places to eat and there's not a lot going on there but it's a cool place because it's it's still small, but yet you have so much traffic, especially during the commercial season and during um, like the sockeye and everything. So you got all the canneries are open, and there there are thousands of people. Every it's crazy. 
Oh, right. So, yeah, King Salmon is really, it's a fishing. It's always been, or it is a fish still. That's the main reason it's there. And more Naknek. So there's one road that leads from King Salmon to Naknek. And Naknek is huge for, you know, that's where all the, you know, all the big ships come in when they're, when they're, when your barge and stuff, your boats and stuff come in there. Uh, all the, most of the canneries are out that way. I mean, you have a lot of business in Naknek. And then King Sandwich is just a smaller, you know, a smaller town. So it's an interesting feel, you know, when you're out there. Uh, it's definitely quiet. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. In today's world of mass-produced products, Stonefly Nets has reclaimed the tradition of handcrafted care with their custom wood landing nets. Stonefly starts the design process by selecting wood for the handle based on a number of key factors, including grain pattern and depth, but they don't stop there. This piece of art is accentuated by strips of hardwood that complement and accentuate the handcrafted handle. To be honest, I have never been a huge net guy, mainly because I didn't feel like my uh, old collapsible net was easiest to use and was not easy on the eye, if you know what I mean. The Stonefly uh, net not only looks beautiful, but has high-quality netting that is easy on the fish and will last for years to come. Stonefly's goal is to create a unique custom classic wood net that's second to none and can be customized for a little extra touch. When Ethan designs a custom net, it's his hope that others will create amazing lasting memories for years to come. Please head over to wetflyswing.com stonefly to get your custom net now. That's wetflyswing.com stonefly, S-T-O-N-E-F-L-Y to get started right now. Okay, let's get back to the show. Well, let's jump into a few. I've just been thinking, you know, again, I know it sounds like sometimes it's easy, but let's take, you know, that person again. Maybe it's September or whatever. They're swinging, trying to get into some of these trout. So we're on the river. We boat up. We find a good gravel bar. Let's let's take us to the river and talk about some tips that could help that person. You know, maybe they're, you know, they're trying to get into their first fish, maybe even just a fish, maybe not even a big fish. What do you tell them when they're sitting there? Do you get, do you have any, like a, a list of things you tell them? Um, let's see. Start with the line just so people don't, in case people don't listen to the, the past episode you did in 89. Oh, okay. sure, yeah. Sure. Just, just take us back to the, just really quick. Give us a little trout spay one-on-one with a rod reel line and that sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, I could talk about this for hours, so I won't bore you, but yeah. So most of the setups lately, I've been encouraging people to do, let me think the most of them are like in the fall is like a eight or nine OPST setup with um, a lot of guys, man, I'm telling you what, dude, those anything full cage, obviously, because you've got your backing and then your running line of choice, whatever it is, you know, mono or some kind of coded, but most people are going to mono. And the problem with that is the diameter really kind of pushes through a lot of the lot of the modern reels right so oh shoot yep what do you mean by full cage so you know you have so when you let's take apart like a a super nice reel like a hatch so you 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 spin it off you take the spool off from the the reel itself and it only has like one support piece on the oh yeah yeah you mean the reel full cage on the reel yeah yeah so the full cage you know then there's not a lot of companies that make them um but there's there are definitely a couple companies I push for spay, and one of them is especially. You ever heard? You ever seen the classic by the loop by loop? Oh, the loop. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yes, that is a 
a very nice. It's cool because it makes the regular person feel like they're fishing a click paw. You know, it makes you feel like a spayman, like a real spayman. But it's got what is that power matrix drag in it? So it's a great reel. It's you know, it's the cage goes all the way around. It's good, clean. You don't have problems with the mono slipping out, and it's like a, the arbor. You can't tell it from the outside because it looks like an old click ball, like a Saracen owner or something. But the inside is like a, a real, like a large arbor, yeah, maybe like a medium to large arbor. Nice. So your line pickup. That's why I, the OPST, the entire system, that's why it's so easy because once you get your whatever you want, laser or the grip shooter or whatever, you have, then you just really have a window of what your rod needs to throw. So it's like, let's do just the nine weight. So the nine weight I've been throwing like between a 425 and 450. It seems to be the sweet spot. And then when they came out that groove, dude, I put that groove on mine and everybody else's and I only take it off if we're swinging like the real skinny flats down towards the bottom. But other than that, I mean, dude, that, so that system I've been using was like a this year, especially because I was supposed to do a write-up. For, I forgot all about it. I got to that, that rod. But that nine-weight rod, I know it sounds crazy, nine-weight, but it's not exactly like a king rod. You know, it's not exactly like a 14-foot king nine-weight. It's not like that, really. It's These rods are just, they're specific rods. And I think, I, in my opinion, now that I've swung up enough fish on it, I think that nine-weight OPSD is like the perfect fall knack-neck rod you know, forever. I mean, it's a great system and that groove with like T18 or T20 on it, freaking perfect. There you go. How long is that rod? That rod, I think it's 12.3, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's right. I'd have to pull, I don't have it with me, but yeah, dude, that it's a perfect example of a, a, a rod that can do any, pretty much anything. I mean, even fairly heavy winds, you know, 20, 25 mile an hour winds. I mean, you're still being able to cast out there and get a get a decent loop with it. Gotcha. And river uh, size of the river, how big? How wide is this river? The Natnik's pretty big, man. Uh, I don't know in terms of feet, but uh, uh, it is it's it's a perfect river for for your you know your full set your your big rods. You can get away with you know a fourteen footer if you really want to just be that way. But I can tell you, man, that OPST system. The whole system makes it easy for people to cast. Um, and, you know, you may graduate and use something else. That's fine. But these systems are really, really useful, uh, even for long-term casting and people trying to grow with their rod. I, I think this, I think it'll serve people really well, um, even in the heavier tips. They, they even down to the seven weight, is still casting. I'm, I've cast T20 on it for months. It's just not big enough. It's not heavy enough for those big fall fish. I've had my ass whooped enough with the seven weight to know that's you know that's a good spring and midsummer rod. But yeah, you need something bigger. You'd you'd be happy to have a little bit extra. I'd rather have more than less. That's for sure. Yeah, with the monster. Okay, and just to take us back. So tips wise, somebody you could either think you know Alaska. We've been on this track for a little while here, but just in general, swinging flies. What, yeah. what do you tell somebody if they're having trouble? I mean, you've got the casting, you've got the the reading the water, but you know, what do you tell somebody if they're out there yeah. and they're not getting anything? Well, you know, for the most part, 
they don't under, they have no understanding of presentation or, or how you put flies in and what the fish see. But on the average, I I just tell people slow the fly down. Um, now you can there's definitely times when a faster fly will trigger a, a grab from a more aggressive fish. But I believe on the average, slowing the fly down at lust, even with enough with like two mins, if you can, that first min turns the fly and that second min really puts that profile into what you're trying to do. It's really, you know, if you cast and then stand there for 15 seconds and then mend, I mean, you're trying to mend the whole system, but with cast and then do your, do your initial mend that, you know, right when it hits, that really sets that swing up. In my opinion, I think it, it's a better thing. And, I mean, you have so much to do. So when they're swinging, uh, you know, you try to describe it. You're like, it's going to grab three different ways. You're going to have the one time where the fish takes it, it turns heavy to it, and runs. That's what everybody wants, and that makes it easy not to do anything. Then you're going to have the grab where, you know, he bangs it, bangs it, bangs it, and you just got to stand. You got to wait because there's nothing you can do. And once he comes heavy to it, you lift and you fight again. And then you'll have that really irritating third is just the grab, boom, you know, one hard bam, and then nothing or a little bump. And that's where I tell them beforehand, I, we call it the force feed where you push the fly back into that fish's face. And I, and I truly believe that's where we get a lot of our grabs that we turn into a hookup is from that force feed for sure. But I think that would be the easiest. And I always encourage people to don't pick it up and cast quickly. Fish your dangle because anybody that swung flies knows they're more apt to take the dangle, you know, a lot of times than they are anything else, especially these more lethargic fish. Gotcha. Yeah. And you're, so you're just trying to get down. I mean, are you trying to get down pretty close to the bottom? How close are you to the bottom when you're swinging these? Yeah. So most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you know, doing that search pattern, I rather go deeper than shallower and then just change it from there. So, I mean, like, uh, three quarters of my season is like T18 and T20. I only fish shallow stuff when I'm down in the flats or if I find that the fish are like early morning where they're holding super shallow, then we'll start with a lighter tip. And then just count on that three quarters of the swing through is when they'll take it. Cause that's when it pulls up on the gravel bar. You know, there's definitely where in the mid, you know, mid morning, even before the sun hits the water, they're still holding that super skinny stuff. You can definitely, you know, capitalize on swinging skinny, but more than not, man, I am a deep, I like deep swinging those, those runs because I don't know, man, I think a lot of the fish aren't ever even they're sitting down touch because yeah because you're so that groove with that t20 shoot but and sometimes it'll i'll do the groove the t20 and i'll put like some weight on the fly or tie the fly with like a tungsten cone or something just to get it down even even further yeah uh, jonathan farmer does you know like his graboid and stuff when he'll do them with tungsten beads boy th those things get down quickly right so you guys are basically you're getting down you want to get down quick and get down fast to those fish yeah, and obviously, dude, you know, scenarios change, you know, and, and, you know, different places call for different tips, but definitely I'd say more than not, I'm fishing deep. Okay, and and when you're getting down, you mentioned the force feed. Describe that again. So this is after a fish takes or is this before a fish takes? 
No. So usually when, you know, you like us describing the different grabs, when they take that one grab and nothing happens, um, a lot of people are just set and just saying, oh, man, that's a good grab. But what we found out is if they grab it like that and nothing happens, if you if you kind of either pull line off your reel or if you're fishing a loop, if you drop the loop, uh, anything to drive that fly just a little bit further down. And there'll be times when it's just me swinging or trying to show them and I'll get a grab. Dude, I'll walk down 15 feet just pushing that fly down the river. And a lot of times that's what triggers a strike that you'd never, you never would have gotten that fish had you not pushed that fly down the river. Wow. So this, and you think this is the same fish that hit it? Oh yeah. I don't, I truly believe most of the time it's the same fish. Yeah. I don't think you're swinging a, you know, 30 fish or most of the time. And then, you know, one bumps it and then another one rips it. It doesn't, it's not, I've seen it like that, but it's not, usually it's the same fish because I mean, you're, most of the time you're going to, you know, go drive over it later and see like three or four fish, you know, on the gravel that, you know, were worth that size of fish. I mean, you you can tell the difference between a, a 22 inch fish taking your fly and a, you know, a 34 inch fish taking, I mean, there's a difference. Are you guys, when you're, ca- are you just casting pretty much kind of down and across? Or are you trying to cast straight across or what are you doing there? Yeah. So it really depends. Like, um, I, when I'm really trying to, to get it down, I mean, I may, like, there's a couple spots where, where we're swinging, especially when I was doing that, I told you that 30 minutes of Zen between the two jobs I'd swing. I mean, I'm swinging 15 foot down, so I'll even cast it above me. Oh, wow. And mend it five times, four or five times, and let it get down to where, you know, you see nothing but, like, you're into your skagit, and then I'll, you know, kind of move it in and then swing it. Because um, that's the only way to get, you know, I mean, it's a deep swing. But for the most part, yeah, you're quartered down most of the runs or at a 90. It really just depends on if I don't think I can get down deep enough, I'll have them cast directly across the river and then mend it right. and then drive the fly. Uh, but on the average, yeah, if you're swinging gravel bars, it's quartered down just like you would for anything. And then your initial mend and then just decision about making sure that fly's not ripping through the column. Gotcha. Okay. So, and you're fishing, obviously there's different water levels and depths and things, but if you're talking again, you got this person here, they're, they're mending a couple of times They're They know about the forest feed, they're dangling. Yeah. Anything else you tell them if they still haven't caught a fish Any other, uh, like advice? Yeah. I would assume if they're doing all of that, right. And they're not hooking up. I would, I would have to say they're trying to set hooks every time the fish grabs. And that's like something that's pretty inherent, you know, regular, fishermen they want to set hooks when they fill a bump so i would say i call it the fat man sport because <laughs> swinging it's almost like the less you do the more effective you'll be yep if you can keep your rod tip driving i try to tell people just drive it into the water and don't touch it you know and i mean i've walked up and grabbed people's base of their rods because they're trying to set hooks and that fish will be just screaming down the river and i'm holding the rod down in the water i'm like now lift and then they, you know, they hook into the fish. Uh, but it, I think it usually takes something like that to, to, for people to understand less is more. That's a, that's tough, man. Swinging is tough because you're, we, we call it swinging, but you're not always just casting out and standing there like, you know, and just letting them take it. I mean, there's more to it, as you know, and I know. 
and I think the more you grow, you know, then you get into like your, you want a different kind of style, you know, you get in a scan more than lighter. Yeah. You want to do some scan. You've been doing, you know, we skated more, uh, flies this year. That was a lot of fun. Oh, you did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just experiment, trying to do different cool things. Uh-huh. Um, I like seeing people grow like their first couple of years. People have like the, you know, like the OPST, whatever, and then they'll have the loop reel, but then they'll want another challenge and they'll switch to like a click paw, like a perfect or something like that, or a boogle or something, you know, or Cersei on something's fancy. And then the next year they'll just want to do Scandi, you know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, fun to see people grow in this. In this. Have you had anybody come up where they said they just want to uh, use Scandi line and just fish on the surface all trip? You know, I, I've never had anybody say that. Uh, I have people wanting to do it. And then, you know, sometimes hours into their trip or, you know, they'd be like, I really just want to catch a fish. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so, then, you know, you put them on. But, you know, I mean, there's only a couple people like Jeff Lesquet would really dedicate some time into that. And that was fun to watch. And then. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Like in the spring, it's easier it's kind of cheating, but like when they're smolting still and stuff, the rainbows, you can skate a white fly through there and they'll eat the crap out of it. So, I mean, you can, in all the places we fly out to, you can mouse, you know, all day long, but it's, it's something to be said for skating a fly in the fall and getting a giant rainbow. I mean, it's pretty cool. On those fly outs. So you have the, the nag neck there at camp, the river camp. <laughs> Why fly out to these other places? What is it just more different species? Yeah, so so we have places you can target, and it depends on time of year, but you can target, you know, sea run dollies that have come in. You can get Arctic char. I mean, you can get other types of rainbows, like get some leopards and stuff like that. Um, <coughs> you can get, uh, there'll be like, you'll go north and you'll be targeting, this will be the idea of the Alaska adventure because you could, on a good day, you could catch 50 rainbows, right? Huh. And then, if you, if you headed south, you may want to be targeting Arctic char or uh, grayling. You want a really big grayling, you'd, you'd fly to like the Ugashic, you know. Mm, that'd be cool. Yeah, it is cool to, to have lots of these different places. A lot of people go out in the Americans and do that rafting trip you're talking about. They'll, they'll raft for five days. They lag neck. A lot of people will hit from like non-vionic and raft all the way to the mouth. I mean, there's a lot of places you can go to target. It's just the fact of the matter is it's going to be hard to beat the knack period. And that's, I, you know, people hate to hear it, but that's the way it is. So you don't necessarily have to go, and we haven't even talked about the Katmai stuff, but, I mean, you could just stay at that camp all week and be totally stoked. Yeah, man. And it's and it's kind of uh, one and the same. Katmai, you're talking about KTL down the street. From yep. our, our other watch. yeah it's it's pretty much one and the same i mean we're all oh, okay we're all the same big group uh i have my guides and james has his but it's all it's owned by jim it's all you know it's it's all the same entity i guess you really describe it but uh yeah it's like so we're on the top of the trout water and ktl's at the very bottom of the trout water and there's nothing in between us so it's a really cool it's a great it's a genius place to be um you got it. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice. Nice. All right, John. Well, let's take it out of here. The uh, folks, we, the two twenty who is still a popular segment that I love to do, and it just helps us dig in a little bit more to some of these tips that we've been talking about. So, 
uh, tips, flies, and, and resources. So what else could we throw out there? If we want to add two more tips, uh, you know, for somebody that's, you know, trying to get into that big 36-inch fish or whatever, what else do you tell them if they're still kind of struggling out there? It's like day two, they haven't really had much success yet. Um, You know, man, I'd have to. Or is it pretty like, I mean, there's not a heck of a lot to it. You just keep fishing. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors that lay into somebody not completing their task of catching a big fish. I mean, dude, you got people that refuse to let them run. You got people that refuse not to set a hook. I mean, there'd be people that during swing season still want to bead. Man, I got some of my guys love that because you can still catch lots of fish. Um, you know, and that's always a good thing to have. If somebody just doesn't have the patience to swing, it's still good to have a bead rod and let them bead. I mean, who cares? Hmm. What does setting the hook look like? How do you do that? With a bead rod or a swing? Oh, with a swing. Oh, I encourage, and this is how I just believe, I encourage most of my people to not set a hook. I'd rather them just, like if the, you know, if the fish has come heavy, they just lift with the current and start running down river. That's what I have most of my people do. I, the amount of human error possible. So, I mean, I'll have them swing straight from the first eye to the reel, no loop. I'll have their drag set really loose. Everything I can do to make sure that that fish takes. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, and so when that fish takes, uh, so that's the next thing. So so the fish takes, they have a fish on. Are you guys fishing, are these kind of like long runs where they're casting, stepping, wading and through a long run, or are these shorter little uh, kind of slots? Yeah, so, I mean, we've got everything. But Naknik offers everything, so... So if you have like an, uh, an older fella that can't, is like, can't walk or wade very well, I mean, you can get out and walk the boat down. They can swing the run. Uh, if people are like, no way, dude, I'm a steelheader from BC. Yeah. I only wade. <laughs> so then you take travel and, you know, it's funny because they'll run out of real estate and they're running down and you're like, you have to throw them in the boat and finish chasing the fish sometimes. And sometimes they'll just keep running. I mean, I'll have guys, there's some places, dude, you can run hundreds of yards and still had the fish on there's definitely spots but i mean it's the rivers it's pretty slippery so it's always entertaining watching people run out their fish that's right so people are you're seeing people are taking a dive into the water coming out wet oh yeah man heck yeah dude Uh, going swimming is just a part of the deal that's like they think for somebody somebody's going swimming somewhere that's right. That's right. Nice. Uh, and let's go to the fly just real quick. A couple of flies. What do you guys see? So we talked about the egg sucking yeah. or something like, what are you giving them in that September that uh, take us to that time again, kind of the early mid September? Yeah, man. Um, I got a couple, uh, one of my buddies, Jordan ties this really awesome, uh, lamprey fly. And so does Jonathan Farmer mm-hmm. ties a good lamprey fly. So we'll fish those. Um, I'll kind of transition from a, or not even really transition. I just switch back and forth from I'll I'll go like a small leech, and then of course your your sculpins and you know your basic stuff that you always swing. But I mean, I think size does make a difference. Some days, you know, some of those some some days when they're just not taken, I'll switch to something teeny tiny. I mean, I'll switch to like farmatize that uh, with that micro intruder. Man, there'll be days you can't keep them off of that fly. And then there's other days they won't eat it, you know. But I think it would be, if you only had three flies, I'd say like a black leech, uh, like black or olive sculpin, 
and then something like a, maybe a soft tackle or, oh, right. you know, or something like that. Something just in case it is super something. Oh, a dush, you know, Dolly. Are you kidding me? I can't believe I forgot. If you only had one fly, why don't you just fish a Dolly? Because a Dolly. Yeah. They'll eat those things from spring to friggin' fall. They'll eat a Dolly, you know, any of them. Was it like uh, black over olive or olive over white, brown? Like, you know, gotcha. And is this a dolly? This is a dolly. Describe well, how do you spell that? And then what's the is that just a common pattern that's uh, or is there somebody who ties that? Yeah, it's a dolly llama. Oh, dolly llama, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's yeah, it's a super popular. It looks like a leech with a white, you know, most of the time, like a wet contrasting white rabbit strip under it. I mean, you can Google it, I mean, but it's super easy to, to tie. It's easy to use. If you if you lose them, it's not the end of the world, you know. I mean, it's, but I mean, you can strip them, you can swing them, you can dead drift them, you can tie fl- you know flesh on them. And, and I mean, dude, it, it's endless. I forgot. I mean, if you're just gonna have one fly, that's a good fly to have. Okay, perfect. And uh, and you mentioned before when we were chatting that uh, you know some of your clients are coming up and fishing with you in in Georgia before you know in the off season. Are you still doing that, or what do you recommend for people that? want to get prepared as far as understanding what they needed to get ready for up there. Yeah. I mean, you definitely, I, I think it, it is a, an important thing to get, at least get a little bit of training on, you know, a bigger fish. Um, because, you know, you, so many times people just want to grab the reel when they're running that can be trained out of somebody, but that, that is definitely a big deal in losing fish. Uh, Big fish are just different. You know this. I mean, when they swim, a lot of these fish, you hook them, they swim right back at you, and that's how you lose them. People, people, we have no idea how to get the gadget in quicker because, you know, so you lose them, especially on barbless hooks, man. They're gone. Oh, are you guys all barbless up there? Not all, but we'll swing barbless for sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what do you tell the person if that fish is running straight at them? Uh, well, I tell them to run back and strip as fast as they can. <laughs> nice. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it'll definitely happen a couple times a year. And you know, it's a big fish when that happens. So awesome. Awesome. What, what's the, uh, give us a, a best, uh, worst and the story like Alaska, you've been doing this. You're up there for like five, six months. What is, what's the best thing? What do you really love about doing that? Uh, you know, the rest of the world, just, you know, the lower 48, shoot, the rest of the world just goes by and we, you know, we're, you're in your zone. Yeah. You don't really know what's good. You know, then you come back down and lower for it and be like, man, you've missed a crazy year. Oh, really? So you don't even keep up. You have no idea, like, uh, like politics, all that stuff. You have, you're just, you're fishing. Yeah. The, the owner of the company, you know, Jim, he, he really likes to keep up on that stuff, but I don't. Is this, this is James Johnson? Uh, Jim Johnson, his daddy. Oh, oh, his dad. Yeah, his dad. So James still, right. Because I haven't had Jim on yet. We did have James on in an episode. Yeah. Jim's awesome. But, uh, yeah, no, he likes to do the politics stuff and he, he tries to keep me up on it. I'm like, dude, I just, I just don't care. No. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just, dude, it's, I mean, it's, can't explain it to you. You wake up, you see mountains, you go fishing, you catch giant fish, you go home and have a good meal. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But what's the, what, what's the worst thing about doing it up there? Well, you, I would say missing my wife and my, you know, my kids, but my wife ended up coming up. She'll come up like once a year for like a month. But this year, 
she uh, came up for the whole season. It was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah, she came up in June and stayed till. I mean, they just got back before me. It was awesome. Wow. With your kid. It was awesome. Um, so my, I got my daughter, Scout. She's 10 now, but she started going up there when she was like four. It's her favorite place on earth. And there, I don't get it. It's crazy. But it was nice. Yeah. So this year I had them up there. It was. That's amazing. Yeah. I think uh, Jim also was like, uh, dude, you got to get more time with your, your family. Why? I, I know. That's cool. What did they do while you're out guiding? Well, um, so my oldest boy is a captain, you know, Micah, he, he's one of my captains. And then in the middle is Ethan. He just graduated high school. I don't know what he's going to do. And then my daughter, she's just in for the adventure, man. I bought her this little, uh, what do they call that thing? It's, uh, like a little motorcycle, little. Oh yeah. Mo- uh, not a moped, but. Oh, shit, so much fun on that thing this year. But yeah, she just loves the, the attention, you know, she gets from clients all year and they just do it over she loves it oh yeah so they're just they're pretty much just hanging out just enjoying uh you know the whole experience as well well my wife helps she kind of gives the owner's wife some breaks and helps run the kitchen and keeps the cabins up and all that good stuff yeah they work hard they definitely they all work in the together so there you go. So you guys are, yeah, so this is like a whole family. This is really cool to hear. So you got this going. Now Now that you have the family up there, I mean, are you thinking, uh, I mean, it sounds like, you know, obviously Georgia is still kind of the home area, but is this something where, uh, I mean, are you guys always going to be sticking coming back to Georgia? It's, it's hard to say, man. That's a great question. I, I honestly, at this point, I have no idea. Uh, I, I just, I, I've learned I'm trying to learn to roll with some punches and try not to be still planny. So just go with it. I try. I'm not very good at going with it, but I'm trying. <laughs> where, where do you set? So if somebody's listening here and they want to really dig in more to this stuff, maybe they want to do a trip or maybe they just want to learn. Maybe we didn't get into enough swinging tips. Where do you send them to learn about swinging? Is there website, videos, resources, blog, any, any of that stuff? What would you tell somebody? Well, they can always get a hold of me on Instagram, you know, the dry fly John thing, or they can, there's some good, you know, like there are some good YouTube videos out there on different stuff, but there's a lot of crap out there too. Uh, I'd just find your local instructors and, and learn, you know, want to delve into find your local shop. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the problem. Yeah. Who's swinging or is it getting more popular up there in Georgia now? Or are there more people swinging? I would say my people are swinging, but on the average now, it's there's a, there's definitely some other people that think they can instruct in it, and it's just it's terrible because it's you know as well as I do, you can't you can fake it and you make it a lot of things. Spay casting's not one of them. You can't, you just can't. I mean, it's you know from learning the simple foundational truths to to, to really delving in and understanding what makes each piece of the cast work. Those are two different things. I mean, you could be a great caster and not be able to at all emphasize or even explain to somebody how to do any of it. It's your, just do better, you know? Yeah. What, what, what is that? So somebody out there comes in and they're, maybe they've been out there a few years, but they're still struggling with their cast. What, what do you tell them? Do you give, do you have a tip for them to help them with their spay? Oh yeah, man. That's uh, that's pretty much everybody uh, that picks up the spay rod. Usually, they just watch some videos and 
doing, you know, roll casting. Yeah, you, it, the hardest part, I would say, for somebody that's already had a spay rod in their hand that didn't get the good instruction is breaking all those bad habits. Uh, wanting to use that top hand, whatever they left hand, right hand, trying to use that top hand so much. That is like, it's amazing when you finally get somebody to understand a little bit and they use that bottom hand a little bit more and they're like, boy, that thing felt good. Well, yeah, because you did kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> How do you force, is there a way to help them to not use the top hand? Dude, um, nowadays, uh, I kind of, I, it's actually, I've learned to, to have that where it, that's one of the things I work on after, like angles. I'll work on the, the bottom hand. That'll be one of the, it's later on in the class because if you do it at first, it, it, it screws everyone up. So I'll, I try to explain to people how on a single hand rod, you have angles. You don't just throw it back and forth, but it's the same with spay rods and people don't talk about that. When you come up to make your deep, you have a starting point, which looks like a back cast with your tip. And then as you go forward, your tip cuts that D and, and you know, you, you stop just like you would a single hand rod. And that's what creates that, you know, that, what are they, the dolphin nose, whatever you want to call it, that pretty loop, you know, but if you kept going, if you came over and you swung your rod tip, like your nymphing, the loop's going to be all giant, just like, an, because you're not, you're, the, the energy's being displaced. It's not, um, you know, and then, you know, what really helps what I find helps with the bottom hand. is when you tell them to focus, like on the horizon, <clears throat> and when they go to release that front cast, they stop higher at that tip. That helps them to understand that bottom hand is really there. The bottom hand controls that tip. You know that that top hand's really just like a kind of like a fulcrum or kind of you know it's that bottom hand is really where the magic comes from. And if you stop high with that tip, or you think is stopping high, you're still going most of the time before, or you, you release that energy higher up instead of trying to throw at the water you're throwing at an angle that's a little bit higher than parallel with the water at least it carries that energy and that's where you kind of start to feel that bottom hand what it what it's really supposed to do yeah that's about a great one nice john well um i will let you get out of here i, I definitely uh, would love to chat with you more but um i've got uh, got to get ready for another call here so uh, this has been awesome today what, what do you got going here the next uh, say next year uh, i guess you're now you're back home what, what do you do just remind us again the next six months are you just kind of re- uh, recovering no i don't recover <laughs> uh, i still do all my spay classes and then i'll be guiding for this lodge up there and possibly back to arkansas you know traveling doing spay and just as much as I can and, and hunting, of course, like always. Yeah. And hunting. Okay. And we'll send everybody over to, uh, it's a dry fly John on Instagram. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'd be happy to answer any questions. Perfect. All right. And, uh, maybe, yeah, if folks want to grab a lesson. They could always, you would probably have people that kind of, uh, come in sometimes even fly in, right. Come in and get a lesson before the big Alaska trip. Yep. Happens a lot. Perfect. All right, John, thanks for taking the time today again and uh, putting together another great episode. I know uh, swinging is still, we've covered everything, but people, we still have a huge chunk of uh, swing uh, fanatics. So thanks for uh, shedding some light on this today. Oh, man, thank you guys for your time. All right. All right, see you, John. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it, man. Have a great day. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all the links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 271, 271 for all the show notes, links, and good vibes good vibes over there check it out
I wanted to read a quick review before we head out of here today. This one is from Mahom uh, Swask uh, C. I don't. Uh, it's uh, hopefully you know that uh, Mahom. I'm just going to call you Mahom on this one. This comes from Apple Podcast from Canada. Uh, Mahom says five stars. Great show. This show is perfect. Is the perfect blend between the Orvis podcast and Anchored podcast. Please keep it up, Dave. Thanks, Mahomes Plus. Uh, appreciate you leaving the review. If you want to leave a quick rating and review for the show, head over to wetflyswing.com slash love, and you can quickly find whatever device you're on to leave a review. I want to thank you in advance if you've already left a review. That is a wrap for today. Looking forward to catching you on the next show and maybe seeing you on the river or maybe online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. 